Hey y'all, welcome to Emergency Medicine Memoirs, a teen's perspective on emergency medicine. This podcast provides a place for EMS professionals and ER doctors to share their experiences and insights. From first-hand accounts of medical emergencies to discussions on the latest advancements in the field, this podcast will provide a unique and valuable perspective on the world of emergency medicine. Join us as we explore the challenges and triumphs of this exciting and dynamic field through the eyes of a teenager. Hi, well, I'm Mel. I'm Mel Malone. I'm a clinical specialist for Austin Travis County EMS, and I'm one of the lead advisors for EMS Explorer Post 247. Awesome, I'm glad to have you on. So starting off, what inspired you to join EMS? Great question. So when I was a teenager, I knew I wanted to take care of people. I knew I wanted some sort of career, probably in the medical field, and I always thought, oh, I'd be a nurse or a Uh physician, because I really didn't know what EMS was. A lot of people don't know what EMS is. But I had a friend who was part of the start of the EMS Explorer post here, and she invited me to come along and see what the post was about. Mm -hmm. I ended up joining. I did a lot of ambulance ride outs. I learned so much through the post, and I became hooked. Awesome. How'd you become an advisor in the post? Uh, Yeah, I don't even know. (laughs) I think my brother conned me into this, honestly. (laughs) No, it's fantastic. I love being an advisor, I really do. And I always thought that once I got hired by the department, I would start being more involved with the post in in an advisor role. Mm -hmm. It didn't really happen for the first few years. I was going through paramedic school, I was learning, I was becoming more of an integral part of this department. and. Once I felt really settled here, I decided I wanted to go back to the post that started it all and try to give back. Right. And what do you think your role as an advisor entails? So I do a lot of the behind the scenes planning. I'm more comfortable in that sort of a role instead of being like the face of an organization. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of the planning for events. I, I do the training calendar so I decide what topics we're going to learn about, who's going to lecture on them. I organize that side of things. And then I also schedule the ride outs Mm -hmm. and try to do what I can to help people get the most they can out of those ride outs. Right. Would you say that your lecture planning has any part to do with what you wanted to learn as an explorer? Yes. You know, I do try to make it, I do try to break it down into small chunks. I'm still learn. I'm new to education, so I'm still trying to figure out how to do it, and I will, I'm sure, get better at it mm-hmm. as time goes on. But I do try to make it very comprehensive. I try to break it down into bite-sized chunks um, that we can build upon. And I have been inviting some great lecturers, both from this department as far as like the EMTs and the paramedics, but also some of our medical directors. So, for example, today we have one of our physicians presenting, and that's just such a great opportunity. Yeah, it's amazing. I know a lot of members of the post want to be doctors, myself included, and it's so great to just see all aspects of medicine. Yeah, and it's great that within EMS, you don't have to be an EMT or a paramedic. You can be a physician or a PA. Right, and that's another great thing that Austin has. I've talked about this with other people on the podcast, but we offer so many 
different parts to be part of EMT, like yeah. C4 and yeah. the PAs and everything Ship, like that. Yeah, there's, our department's fantastic with all the different little divisions that we have or the different roles you can play. Right, awesome. If you didn't ever join EMS, what profession <laughs> do you think you would have been in? Oh, okay. So I grew up actually as a musician. I played a lot of instruments. <gasps> <Me too. laughs> um, what did you play? I, I sing and I used to oh, play piano. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I played piano as well. And I Same. got a full scholar. I was offered a full scholarship as a piano performance major to oh, a university. Wow. I didn't have $500 to secure my spot. Uh -huh. So I didn't end up going that route. But it worked out because I think I would have been really bored as a musician, honestly. Right. Yeah. I, I, I like where I ended up. I think it worked out how it was supposed to work out, so I'm not mad about it. Right. Yeah, no, my friends, they've they've known I've wanted to do medicine from a young age, but they're like, if you didn't, what would you do? And I was like, I'd be a singer, but Aww, you know, like, yeah. maybe my life wouldn't have been great. Yeah. <laughs> You so can do been both, fun. though. That's the great thing about being in medicine is you can. It's actually healthy to have a lot of other hobbies or interests, things that you pursue. Right, for sure. What was the most memorable call you've ever been on? So I get asked a similar question quite a bit, and a lot of people in EMS or in medicine get asked a similar question, which is, "What is the coolest call you've ever uh -huh. been on?" I like that you said memorable, because that can mean so many different things. Mm -hmm. I think when people ask what's the coolest call you've been on, they are thinking, oh, tell me like the most gory, gruesome, bloody right. call you've ever been on. They want to be entertained. I don't love that. Uh -huh. <laughs> so as far as most memorable call, I don't know that I could pick just one. I've been here for a little over nine years and I've run thousands of calls. I've cared for thousands of people. The most memorable ones have ended up being the calls where I can actually have an explorer with me right. and we can run something critical and I can introduce them to something for the first time. I think that's just so exciting and that's right. really such an honor to be a part of training you know, the youth in the explorer program mm -hmm. and showing them you know, all these, the difference they can make in medicine and um, guiding them through their first cardiac arrest, right. performing CPR for the first time, mechanically ventilating a patient or you know, helping out in some other way. Right. I think it's just so exciting to be there for that. For sure. One of the coolest calls that I was on, or one of the, the most special calls mm -hmm. of that sort that I was on, um, this was eight years ago, nine years ago. Uh -huh. My brother was an explorer, my little brother, mm -hmm. and he was riding out with me. And I was there for the first time he did CPR. Oh, wow. And that was just such a special moment. Uh -huh. And our patient, I believe we, so I know we resuscitated our patient. Mm -hmm. I believe that he walked out of the hospital neurologically intact, which is wow. super special. Uh -huh. So I feel lucky that I've been able to share that moment with so many mm -hmm. explorers. And for reference, this is the same brother that was previously on the podcast mm -hmm. as our first episode. Yes. Also to the listeners, CS Mon was the advisor I was with for the first time I ever performed CPR and, um, had a cardiac arrest and first patient death I've ever seen and I, I know that'll always stick with me because yeah. it was such an impactful experience yes. I will never have and to be able to experience it at the age of 15 is something yes. that not a lot of people get to do hardly anyone gets to do that and that's just gonna make a difference in your whole career trajectory right I'm sure. yes for sure I know like at least 
when officer positions were coming up and I applied, I wrote about that because mm -hmm. I knew that's what mattered to me. Like yeah. that coming from this post, I've made so many great friendships, but the fact that I had the opportunity to help someone and at least try and save someone's life is, it's, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, And truly. it's so powerful to be a part of that team. Right. The way we run cardiac arrests here is different than in many other cities. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a role. We all just plug into our roles and we work as a really cohesive team. Right. So you got to experience not only just doing these things for the first time, mm -hmm. but being a part of this team. For you sure. weren't just yes. a student, a learner. You were part of the team. Right. So that was that was really special. Definitely. What are some of the key challenges or pain points that you face when treating patients? So there are many challenges in regards to treating patients in EMS, and these can include making the right treatment decisions in critically ill patients, accessing or extricating patients from difficult to reach areas, mm -hmm. communica communicating effectively with speakers of other languages, right. Uh, respecting patients with cultural differences, but I would say the most challenging or the most frustrating challenge for me would be situations where patients are critically ill or injured. They really need treatment, they really need transport to a hospital, but they are refusing. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I've had several patients over the years who were super injured or sick and were absolutely refusing to go to the hospital. The one example that most strongly has burned in my mind is this poor lady. She had been beaten up. She was this woman experiencing homelessness. She was beaten to the point where her arms and facial bones had multiple fractures. Wow. A bystander called for her, but she would not allow us to touch her, assess her. We couldn't even take vital signs on her. Wow. She had present mental capacity and we were trying everything to reason with her, but she was very, very afraid. She had been threatened by the person that beat her up, that she was not to go to anybody, not to receive help. Mm -hmm. And this was one of those challenging situations where she needed to go to the hospital. Right. We called a physician, we had law enforcement come out, we tried everything. But at the end of the day, she would not go mm -hmm. to the hospital. So, you know, some, you can't force people to do what's, right. what is, considered best for them or what we would think is best for right. them all the time so that can be really challenging really sad and how would you say you go about these situations when you're faced with someone absolutely refusing care you have to be creative first of all you have to make sure that they are able to refuse that they have present mental capacity mm -hmm. so they can reason you know tell you why they don't want to go to the hospital they can like argue back and forth basically right provide a, some strong reasoning points make sure that they know who they are, where they are, where they're at, mm -hmm. all that stuff. They are oriented in time and space, you know? Right. Make sure they're not suicidal or homicidal. Try to, try to talk with them. Mm -hmm. Try to figure out what's going on, why they don't want to go to the hospital. Problem solve. Sometimes if you have them talk to a physician, mm -hmm. they'll change their mind. Sometimes you can call a commander out to somebody else on scene. Right. But you can't always make people go to the hospital. Yeah. So it is what it is. For sure. And I know you previously said that one of the pain points was um, communicating with mm -hmm. patients of different origins or backgrounds. This kind of connects to my next question. Yeah. What strategies do you use to communicate effectively with patients and their families during stressful times? 
So one of the lessons that I learned from a physician that I really, really respect, Dr. Pickett, is to be the calm in the storm. So there will always be stressful situations at EMS. There will always be chaos. This is the worst day in many people's lives when they have to call an ambulance. So I've learned to be the calm in the storm. In the middle of any sort of chaotic, stressful scene, I try to take a step back, take a breath, lower my voice, try to speak in just like a cool, calm, collected manner. Mm -hmm. So even if people are unkind, nasty, just be the calm, respectful, presence there try to communicate the best you can right you know it's it's really about every situation is different in EMS for sure you just yeah. try try the best you can at the right. end of the day right and if families get in the way of treatment how does yeah. that work yeah so sometimes we have many times we have the fire department with us mm-hmm. so if it's a really chaotic stressful scene and it's you know, the patient needs my care right away, mm-hmm. I can't leave their side and go deal with the family all the time. Right. So, you know, sometimes I'll have the fire department go and try to talk to family, try to separate them. Sometimes the police department or the sheriff's office will do the same for mm-hmm. me. They'll try to help problem solve. Or right. We just we do the best we can at the end of the day. For sure. Sometimes we have to bring the patient outside of the house, put them in the ambulance, mm-hmm. lock the doors. Yeah. <laughs> try to create some separation but I try to communicate with everybody most of the time they're very understanding they kind of realize I need to be taking care of the patient I'm gonna do the best I can communicate the best I can right of course how do you manage pain and discomfort in emergency patients who while also addressing their medical needs so there are actually a lot of situations when a patient has had some horrible traumatic injuries. They are in so much pain, but they are also needing all these life-saving measures right now. Right. Which pain management is very important. Mm-hmm. I am a huge advocate for treating the pain at the scene or as soon as I can. But sometimes the patient needs tourniquets, chest seals, wound packing, IV or IO access, mm-hmm. uh, blood administration, some other medications that need to be administered. Right. So I recognize that pain management is super important, but sometimes I do have to explain to them, you are in critical condition, I have to do these things right now, but I'm going to take care of your pain, it might be a few minutes. Right. Okay. And do you offer pain meds um, to patients on the ambulance? Or? Oh yeah, absolutely. So we have a lot of different pain management options. And when talking about pain management, it's not always just ketamine or fentanyl or mm-hmm. something cool, some cool drug. Sometimes it is positioning them in a patient of comfort or an ice pack or splinting, bandaging. There are just right. so many options. So I think that pain management is super important. Mm-hmm. And my physician that I, I mentioned earlier, Dr. Uh-huh. Pickett, that I learned so much from, presented a study to us during my promotional training and he said that treating pain at the point of an injury reduces PTSD in patients caused by that pain and that's something they learned in the military Mm because he's a he's a military physician so we learned it's so important to treat them right to provide pain management Mm -hmm. it's it's important to do all the other stuff too but a kind word pain medicine splinting all that stuff is so important Mm -hmm. too so awesome can you describe a typical shift in EMS Um, So every shift is different. (laughs) Every shift is really different. So I can't say that there's one shift that's, you know, typical. But Mm -hmm. I will say 
ambulances that are within the city limits tend to be really busy, mm-hmm. very little downtime. Ambulances in the county can be slower, you right. can have more downtime. So there's definitely a difference in call volume. There's also a difference in which type of call you will be running based on which ambulance you're on. So mm-hmm. say you're in an area with a lot of nursing homes, you're gonna run a lot of nursing home right. calls, a lot of falls, altered mentations. If you are off of off of Sixth Street downtown, mm-hmm. you're obviously going to be very busy during the weekends. Right. Uh, but the most typical I can describe as far as the shift goes, we get there in the morning. I get the station. I take the radio pager keys and the drug pouch from the person that I'm relieving. Mm-hmm. And then we go through all of our controlled drugs. We count every single one, log it, make sure there's nothing missing, no documentation errors sign off on that. They give me a whole rundown about how their shift was, what they used, what types of calls they ran. They let me know if there are any issues with the truck or with the equipment. And then my partner and I will do a full truck check. If we we don't get calls, during this time we are still logged in, we still could be getting calls. Mm -hmm. So we do a full truck check, make sure we have all the equipment we need, everything's working, check our batteries. And then if we still haven't been dispatched, which would be miraculous, <laughs> then we go inside. If we have downtime, I like to work on Explorer Post projects or I'll read a book mm-hmm. or do some continuing education. Occasionally we'll watch a movie or uh-huh. a TV show or something, right. but I do try to have projects I can work on when I'm there. At the end of shift, we make sure we are all restocked which we try to resupply after every call, but Mm -hmm. sometimes at the end of shift, I'll just kind of do a quick run through and make sure we have everything we need to pass on the truck. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we will have time to wash the truck. We try to clean the station up, and then we'll swap out all the batteries, make sure that we have fresh batteries for the oncoming crew, and then we just wait for the crew. Awesome. How long do your shifts typically last? So I work 24-hour shifts. We have both 12-hour shifts and 24-hour shifts on the ambulances, but I enjoy 24-hour shifts Uh because then we get three days off, and I love traveling, I love doing other things with my time off, so Mm -hmm. that works for me. Awesome. I guess you've kind of already talked about this a bit, but what role do you play in educating and training other EMS or aspiring EMS professionals? Yeah, so I actually have several roles. I am one of the lead advisors for the Explorer program which includes planning meetings, training events, scheduling the rideouts, teaching some. Mm -hmm. But within the EMS department, I also am right about to promote to the rank of captain where I will be, yeah, (laughs) I will be training new employees and also employees who are promoting to the clinical specialist rank in the department. Mm -hmm. So I will have a training role on the ambulance. Also next summer, we are hoping to have an EMT program for the Explore program. So, assuming that all goes as planned, I will be one of the EMT instructors for that. Yay! Yeah. These are all like amazing opportunities. Yeah. And not only am I getting to help teach this new generation of EMTs, paramedics, doctors, all, mm-hmm. you know, whatever people go out to be, right. but also I am learning more because the more I teach, the more this knowledge is kind of getting ingrained in my brain. Right. Um, I just have a quick personal question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's the difference between what a medic versus a CS versus a captain versus a commander does? Yeah, so a medic in our department 
will act as an EMT. That doesn't mean they're necessarily just credentialed as an EMT. They might be a paramedic, uh-huh. but they are credential. They're credentialed to perform at the EMT level. Got it. So that's you know doing assessments, doing some basic medical care, vital signs, uh, any what's called basic life support measures. Right. So what they would do. A clinical specialist, also called a CS, will do advanced life support measures. So the paramedic level stuff. So okay. more cardiac, res- higher level respiratory stuff, more meds, um, just overall a higher level. Um, and then the captain rank is a promotional rank. Mm-hmm. Captains can either be in the field on an ambulance where they will be training people, or captains sometimes will be in other departments. I believe you've talked to people who have worked in the chip department or C4, or there's a continuing education Mm -hmm. department. Some of them work in the academy, teaching new people that come in Mm -hmm. to our department. So there are a lot of different opportunities for captains, but on the ambulance, you're in a training role. Okay. Now a commander, is not actually on the ambulance. They are in their own supervisor vehicle, and I think that's an awesome position to be mm-hmm. in. I can't wait to be a commander. Right. So they go to a lot of the higher level calls, the priority one respiratories, the cardiac arrests, anything that needs blood. Mm-hmm. They provide both a supervisory level as far as like doing admin paperwork stuff and showing up on these higher level calls and providing that support. Um, they supervise a certain district within EMS. So we have seven districts right now, and there's one commander per district every day. Got it. So they have their little group of trucks that they supervise. They also carry blood on their units and ventilators and medication pumps. Okay. So they, they carry equipment and stuff that we might need on those higher level calls. Got it. Awesome. Lastly, what would you tell aspiring EMS professionals about the job and how to get involved in emergency medicine? So if you are interested in emergency medicine, definitely try to join an Explorer post if there's one near you or a similar program, or contact a local EMS agency to schedule a ride along on the ambulance. And when you do start going to EMT school or paramedic school or medical school or whatever it is you do, don't let your certification or credential level define your knowledge level. I'm really big on this. So we live in a time when there's unlimited knowledge to be had if you are motivated. So there are resources online or on print that anyone can access, both free and paid for. So read books, listen to podcasts, read research papers, watch accurate medical YouTube channels, (laughs) find some mentors, shadow providers, or there there are plenty of apps too that are reputed, you know, good, solid medical apps you can learn from. One of my favorites, and I'm not like, paid by them endorsing this anyway but this is something that I just use personally it's osmosis it is a paid app but I'm a visual learner so this platform has like tons of videos I can watch flashcards notes quizzes and that just helps me because I am a visual learner Mm -hmm. to go in and watch these short little videos and learn anything from anatomy and physiology or pathophysiology or learn about different medications so that's one of my personal favorites but however you learn just figure out what your best way to learn is and figure out what resources would work for you and never stop learning no matter what you do never stop learning right awesome thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we hope to have you you. again sometime soon thank you thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast 
please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. That's all for this episode, y'all. See you next time.